Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones and I want to welcome you to Good Grief where we talk every week about the transformations that come from loss. I'm so grateful to have you here, and I hope you'll go to my host page at Voice America to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, connect with me on LinkedIn. Today I'm going to tell my own story, so you'll know why I wanted to bring this particular show to you. I'm going to be asking my guests to open their hearts and tell their deepest stories, and I never ask anyone to do what I wouldn't do myself. So I'm beginning with me. My most profound loss transformed my life, deepened my connections, made life more present and miraculous. I am not going to pretend it didn't hurt in the deepest possible way, because it did. And I'm not going to tell you how to make it not hurt. But I am here to tell you that tremendous benefit can come from a willingness to engage with your own unique and personal grief experience. To help me tell my story, I've asked Mariana Cacciatore to join me. Mariana is host of the Voice America radio show, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Deeds. She's founding executive director of Bread for the Journey, a nonprofit philanthropic organization with 26 locations in North America. She's also an author and public speaker. And her book, which is really wonderful, Being There for Someone in Grief, is being used as a guide for hospice volunteers and as as a test for those learning to work with people in grief. I want to welcome you, Mariana, but before I turn myself over to you, I wanted to share the story of how I found you. Hmm. I, I was trolling the Voice America homepage on iTunes after I got asked to do the show, trying to find someone to talk to about whether it was wise to go ahead with it. Um, I, I like to do my research. So I wanted the backstory. I wanted to find someone on my own. And I went to the iTunes page, and your, your face just shone out at me got my attention right away and then I looked at the banner and there it said bread for the journey and my first wife Joanne and I had gotten a grant from bread for the journey to go to Boulder to be with Stephen and Andrea Levine and uh, if you're in those kind of situations you know that you're kind of walking around without skin and the beautiful things that people do for you stick with you forever 
So Bread for the Journey has been in my heart since then. Uh, and so I, you know, uh, as you oh. know, I, I emailed you and uh, you emailed back, which was great. And that lunch we had when we met to talk about this, I just felt like I'd found a kindred spirit. So when when I decided to do the show and um, decided I wanted my story to be first, there's you were the first person on my mind to to talk to today. So thank you so much for being here. Well, you're welcome. It's really quite an honor for me. And I felt the same way, too, when I met you. We I came away with a great big grin on my face that lasted for a couple of days. So <laughs> I felt like I had made a new friend and that mm-hmm. always feels really good. Not not just a not just an ordinary person that you meet at a function for work or at a party, but somebody with whom I could have a deeper conversation that would go somewhere. And um, so I'm really honored to, to be here today to interview you. And I wish you the very best with this show. I, sh- I know it's going to be fabulous. Oh, thank you, Mariana. Well, how about if we start with you telling us what your vision is for the show? Sure. I, uh, I was planning on writing a book for years and years and years about the transformative potential of grief. Uh, And I wanted to tell people stories. I'm very much a story person. I like to to hear what people have experienced and what they've made of it. It's, It's a huge part of my work as a therapist. And it's also just part of me and the world. I think that work appealed to me because I love uh, hearing people's stories and and witnessing their changes so much, so uh, you know, I I put up a website to try to do the book. I did various things to try to make that happen, and it just was not. Uh, it just didn't happen for various reasons. And then when uh, and yet it compelled me. I kept thinking about uh, that idea of bringing together stories of people who had transformed through grief. And it really affected my way of thinking. So when Voice America called me and said, would you like to do a radio show on anything you want, <laughs> which was incredible, <laughs> I, I immediately knew what I wanted to do it about. Um, because I am very much of a, I think part of the reason the book was so hard for me to do is that um, Writing can be very solitary, and I'm very conversational. Um, that's another part of being a therapist I love, is, is being in co- deep conversation with people. And so the idea of every week uh, sitting with someone who has clearly made something out of their grief, experienced it and felt the pain of it and made something out of it, is just a keen pleasure. I, I'm... So looking forward to every week being able to have those conversations. Um, So that's what I have in mind for the show, that um, other people might be able to listen in and uh, hear a different message about grief that isn't just about how much it hurts, but is also about where it can take you. Sounds like it's a bit of hopefulness mixed in with the sorrow. 
Um, and that for sure. ha- and that and that really does help. Um, so, in in your vision for the show, are you going to have? Is it just going to be Colin, or are you going to have guests, and oh, then I- it will be Colin? How's that going to work? This first thirteen weeks, there won't be any Colin. It will be me with a guest, and I think typically I will have a guest nearly every week. I may occasionally do do a show that's all call in, but I envision going forward that there might there will be shows where I'll invite uh, listeners to call in and engage in the conversation with me and whoever it is that I'm talking to. Uh, but this first thirteen weeks, I'll be. Uh, uh, really talking with people for an hour uh, about what has transformed in them. And uh, I do have quite a few of the guests for that period of time. Of course, people can call in during that period, but won't be on the show during that period. Uh, they can call and get in touch with me, in other words. Um, but so, so who's the typical audience? Who do you think would want to listen to the show? I think it falls into a number of of categories. Some are obvious, like people who are grieving uh, might want to hear that there's something ahead of them that won't just be pain. Right. Uh, You know, so that's that's number one. Uh, Number two is people who really... um, are moved by stories of inspiration because I think whenever someone experiences deep grief and and gets through it and goes forward and does something with it, it's very inspiring. I, I know those stories are, of course, they capture my attention because it's an interest and they are everywhere. And um, it moves me so much to witness other people doing those things that inspire them out of having had uh, loss. So yeah, that's there's the second this, group. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Did I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You, did, you didn't at all. <laughs> and so do you have other, I mean, did I stop that process? Were you going to talk about any others or no? Well, I think uh, certainly it would be uh, – of a lot of interest to people who have had that experience. Right. Which I can be- imagine. I can imagine people like um, hospice workers who are actually sitting by the bedside of people who are dying or volunteers that work in a grief support center who want to have stories that help them re- imagine the people they're working with coming to the other side of that grief and doing something with it that uplifts them and others. Um, uh, I imagine people that are part of uh, church communities who, you know, often in church communities, there's sort of like a family and they mm-hmm. really come together when, when hardship has occurred. And so, you know, to actually hear stories and, and I think this piece around the hopefulness is always mixed sort of rather uh, tenderly with, 
uh, with the grief because you mm-hmm. know when you're mm-hmm. feeling grief, you want to feel everything there is to feel, or you you may not want to, but it, it, <laughs> actually it's, most of the time you don't. But you, <laughs> but you but you know that that's if if you know that that's part of the way through, and that's the only way through. It is sometimes helpful to know that one day you'll wake up and the sky will be blue. Absolutely. Uh, I know that uh, when when my wife first died, I did not want to read any how-to books on grief. I, I was absolutely uninterested right. in that. <laughs> you know, right. don't tell me how to do this. Uh, but I really, really wanted to listen, watch, read anybody's story about having gone through it. Uh, it. Uh, and and gotten to the other end. That was just. I would I would put a lot of time into that. Uh, and that's what you're creating with this radio show. You're creating an audio version of really a book about somebody's life. However, it'll be a new person every week. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's and, Who and do a, you have? Go ahead. Uh, and a lot of different types of losses. Because uh, I, I really, I think we have a very limited view of what loss, what qualifies as loss. Right. Uh, somebody has to die or, you know, but for instance, I think racism is a loss to all of us. I think um, we have losses of geography when we move, you know, uh, losses of friendship. There's There are infinite ways that loss integrates into our lives. And so uh, that's another uh, focus of mine is to really interview people from lots of different experiences of loss. And And shine uh, shine a light and validate those losses that are less common or obvious. Can you tell us? Um, what some of the guests are that you have lined up for the show in the next few weeks? Absolutely. Next week, I'm interviewing uh, Angelo Marandino, who uh, did a, he's a photographer. He did a photo essay uh, on his wife's breast cancer experience that is to- very beautiful. He just did a TED Talk um, very recently. Uh, the next week, I'm, I'm interviewing a woman uh, whose name is Amakela. She's a musician who committed herself to music full-time after uh, being the victim of a hate crime, almost dying, and then uh, recovering through music. Uh, the following week, it's uh, Dina Joseph, who is a... Um, a chaplain at UCSF in palliative care and um, experienced the early death of her father. And we're going to talk about that, how that connects with her work with dying people, how her own losses connect with that. So that gives you a kind of idea of, of some of the shows we're looking forward to. That's very exciting. I mean, it sounds, I just, I can't wait to listen to the show myself. That's nice to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're hopeful stories and they're honest stories. That's what I'm hearing you say. These are people who have been through 
some degree of hardship and have found their way out. And it sounds like in some cases or in many cases have then turned their loss into something that benefits others as well. Yes, and I do think that's a, a um, an irresistible impulse of a good grief <laughs> is to redeem that experience, to make something out of it, to bring meaning to it. Um, that's certainly been my experience, and I think it's also a very common experience. So mm-hmm. that's also uh, in the background of this of this project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't I can't believe it, but it's almost time to go to our first break. Uh, <laughs> it's gone so fast. I know it does. Uh, when we when we come back, let's um, let's keep talking about good grief. Uh, and uh, for listeners, in these couple of minutes, uh, please go to Good Grief homepage on uh, Voice America. You can like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter, connect on LinkedIn, all of that good stuff. And you can also go to my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. And to reach Mariana, you can go to www.breadforthejourney.org. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co-host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace, balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter. And migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. 
To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. And today, I've asked Mariana Cacciatore, host of Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things, to interview me before the break. We were talking about the view I have for this show, The Vision. And I'm going to put myself back in your hands, Mariana, to continue our conversation. Great. Well, in this segment, I'd like to focus a little bit on your own personal life, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. Um, Great. So during your education as a marriage and family therapist, your first wife, Joanne, was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and was given six months to a year to live. Yes. Were you able to continue on with school? How did that experience affect your life? (laughs) in every possible way. And yes, I did continue with school. And so I've always felt like my life as a therapist is inseparable from my life as a griever, uh, you know, as a person who experienced loss, because I don't know how I would distinguish, you know, one from the other. They were so intertwined. Um, A couple years, maybe three years into her illness was when I got licensed, uh, so uh, it it really is um, my my grief experience is written all over how I do therapy mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. Right, right, right. Um, the two of you reached out to various teachers in the field of grief to help you learn for yourself what good grief looked like and how to be in it. Who were those teachers? That's interesting the way you put that because it sounds uh, uh, less desperate and more intentional. (laughs) You know, I I think when you're going through something, for me anyway, going through through that, I was just like, please help me, you know. (laughs) And um, the people that came the most into that world were Stephen and Andrea Levine. Um, I was... I was being trained also at the time by a man named Richard Only, who developed something called self-acceptance training. And um, he was also helping with this process uh, and training me as a therapist. So again, the training and the experience with Joanne were very much linked together. And I would say that's also true of Stephen and Andrea. They were... Uh, very focused on death and dying. And yet I learned so much about other things from then. Uh, well, basically about living, uh, which, uh, which really uh, has become inseparable for me. Um, Tell me something you learned from them that, it, that will help your audiences understand what that experience was like for you. You know, I think the thing they taught me most was how to sit with my feelings, uh, how to how to go in instead of try to bump out. And I'd had some experience with that, but somehow 
uh, when Joanne was first diagnosed and in those first few years, uh, it actually increased my anxiety a great deal. Yeah, I was what a thing all over the place and, ah, you know, a lot of fear. So I think my, our work with them helped me to realize that it was safe to actually dive down into my experience and allow it to unfold. And so what was that like? I mean, let's say here you are, a person filled with what ifs, as you said, the mm-hmm. mind is going. Mm-hmm. Um, you're feeling a lot of anxiety in your body. You wake up mm-hmm. with fear, thinking about what the day might be like or tomorrow or the next year. Yes. And uh, what did you do first? How do you begin to calm that body down? I think there's a paradox in that work for me, which is that in order to calm it down, you have to let it not be calm. Uh, okay. So th- there was something about the uh, message from Stephen and, on- and Andrea that very deeply, that, that deepened my understanding that it was safe to go into those feelings and just let them happen. And that removed the part of my jumpiness that was about trying to get out of what was happening. Right. Which, which is a huge part of it, actually, at least for me and I think for lots of other people. The agony of it is often more about trying to get out of it than about what it is like to be in it. So it's not about calming that body or mind down. It's about feeling whatever it is you're feeling without so much of a commentary going on about it. Yes, yes. You know, we'd be, we'd be in a, like a 500-person pers- workshop with them, let's say, and we would be sitting doing, doing a meditation that would be just about uh, allowing yourself to go into that part of you that was experiencing whatever it was experiencing. And it wasn't, it didn't take long to learn that if I really let that happen, it passed all on its own. <laughs> you know, that there's the, the feeling body wants to move. It doesn't want to stand still. Okay. So, um, it, if you if you let it happen, what I experienced was that things just passed through me a lot faster than I would have thought. I, I thought, oh, I'll go into that and I'll just be in that terrible place forever, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, and, and so, of course, I would want to pop out. Who wouldn't? Right. But what I found was that if I just sat with it and let it happen, it changed. I remember mm-hmm. once I was... I was um, in a lot of fear, you know, and I was sitting there afraid, 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 and like, fear, 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 fear. And then I wasn't afraid anymore. <laughs> you know, you mean, you mean just, just naming it, just naming recognizing it and, what it is oh. and naming it and repeating the name, whether, whether yeah, it was to fe- myself, the word in I mean, this case was fear. Exactly. Just letting that happen. There's right. something about, uh, the, the image I used to use, I don't know where I got it, was that that feeling place in me was like a little kid trying to get a cookie. And, and if I didn't give it a cookie or I shooed, it, shooed the child away, 
they would keep getting louder and louder. But if I either gave them a cookie or said, um, I had young children when this was happening. That might have been where it came from. If I either gave it to them or said, I can't quite do it yet. Please wait a minute. Everything kind of smoothed out. Right. Uh, That's a great analogy. That's really a perfect analogy. Um, You know, know, the other other thing that... The other huge thing that Stephen and Andrea taught me was about self-forgiveness and compassion. Mm. Uh, So tell me a little bit about what it was like forgiving yourself. What were you forgiving yourself for? Uh, I was, it's, there's a long story about it, but I had, um, I had had a child with someone and she had cut me off from that child so I was I could not see her, and as people who've grieved deeply might know, the first stop on grief is self-recrimination. What could right. I have done? What could have been different that right. that would have made this not be true? Right. Even when it makes no sense, that happens. But in this case, there were enough things I could fault myself for that. Uh, I I went to town, you know. Right. Yeah. I, I I just gave myself the worst time ever for a long period on and off. I think probably a couple years. Uh huh. And uh, long about two years, uh, Joanne, who had listened listened to me very lovingly and patiently for those whole two years, I would say. I mean, I have to credit her because it must have been very hard to hear me. You know this. This person she loved berating this person she loved. Right. You know? <laughs> um, and finally, at the end of that time, she said, you know, Cheryl, I just can't hear you talk about yourself that way anymore. And something just popped when she said that. And I realized I couldn't bear to talk to myself that way anymore. Um, mm. And there's mm. something that happened in that moment that just opened up forgiveness. You know, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a measly little human being. That's, that's what I am. I'm not perfect. I can't be perfect. And I forgive the things I didn't see or couldn't see or uh, ignored, (laughs) whatever it might be. I forgive that because if I don't forgive it, I can't correct it. So this really is the genesis of the development of compassion, I think. Um, And it really, I think ultimately, it it may not begin with us, but it ultimately relies on us forgiving ourselves in a very compassionate and loving way because only then can we arrive at the place where we can be compassionate for others in their um, hardship, in their mistakes, if you want to call them mistakes, in their acts of being simply human. Exactly. I, I actually like the word mistake. Mm. Uh, I think we have to get over thinking that's such a big deal. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, there's no life without mistakes. And to me, all Almost all the growth happens in either a loss or a mistake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, a mistake is a loss. 
too. There's that. But I, I think there's some way that I've come to see mistakes as um, sort of inevitable growth machines. Mm, mm, uh, beautiful. Uh, where we, we have the opportunity to say, oh, look what I did. What was that about? Um, and to really um, look for the answer. Uh, the, the other thing is if you can't forgive your mistake, you can't apologize. Um, you you to, can't apologize to other people. To other people, yeah. Because, yeah, great. yeah, because you won't want to admit you did it. Mm-hmm, right. And, mm-hmm. and to me, that leads to apologies like, um, I'm sorry if that hurt you. Or, uh, I'm sorry, but I was only trying to do the best thing for you. Or mm-hmm. it, it, it leads to equivocal apology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas if you really take it in, wow, I messed up. Then mm-hmm. you can say, I am so sorry, my beloved. You know, <laughs> I really messed up that time. Uh, I'm not going to say I do that every time, but I, that's, what I, that's my intention. That's where we're trying to go in being um, somewhat fluid with what happens in the world, whether, and I mean, you don't want to put blame on it, but whether we were the ones who initiated something that on, on, on reflection, perhaps you wish you hadn't done, or whether it's somebody else, which happens yes. every minute of every day, no matter where we are on earth. All, all the time. And, you know, I think that this uh, walking through cancer with Joanne and losing her and all that, it's related in the sense that, um, I guess I have to say, having gone through that, what else do I really have to fear all that much? Really? Uh, You know, do I really have to be afraid that if I say I'm sorry because I spoke harshly, the whole world's going to fall apart? Right. You know, it just, it it put a proportion on things that continues to be infinitely helpful to me. And she died in 1995, but but what I took out of that is every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Every day, it's it's integrated into the way I think about things, the way I feel things, the way I relate. Um, there's nothing that didn't change except uh, maybe some biographical, you know, sort of uh, surface things about me. Everything mm-hmm. else changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a beautiful legacy. You know, we run so much in our life from hardship. And yet it is such a powerful, probably the most powerful mover in terms of our evolution and growth that there is. And we wouldn't ever wish it on anyone. Um, But it's just the way it is on Earth. It's as simple as that. It may not always be the road that people take when they're in hardship. Some people do shut down and don't want to move forward. Sure. But if we, but if we, but if we grab the oars, um, metaphorically, I mean, because you in grief, you hardly feel like you can do anything. But in a sense, if you're really um, doing, opening one door at a time with the capacity that you have, it can't help but take you to a new place. 
Yes, and the oars actually are a pretty good image because to me it's like river rafting. Um, you're on this river and you're not in control of the river, and you're kind of use you're in the boat, which is good. <laughs> you right. know, the boat the boat might be your friends or your inspirations or the things you read, whatever you put in your boat, and the oars. All you're trying to do is make sure you don't crash into the side or fall out. Uh, you know, right. there there is a sense of being able to go with the water, right? Uh, right. Even when the water's in charge, right, right, uh, right. and maneuver mm-hmm. it to a to an extent. So mm-hmm. that that was my goal at that time. I actually, in the year after her death, said I could have anything for myself that I could afford and get the time for. Um, and so I really fed my grief. I, mm-hmm. I sang every day. I put my hands in the dirt every day. I would, went to workshops. It was actually a fabulous way to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were many things about it I enjoyed. Uh, I, I didn't admit that to some people because, you know, they might have thought that I was kind of weird. <laughs> but right, I did. Right, I enjoyed right. that year. Uh, even the even the pain, because the pain was really about, um, it was really about honoring her. So um, that's a good place, I think, to take our second break. Um, and after the break, I'd like to talk, you know, more about this. I'm enjoying this conversation so much. Thank you, Mariana. Thanks. Uh, Thanks. And I'm glad. And again, uh, you can find Mariana at www.breadforthejourney.org or at the station. And you can find me at www.weatheringgrief2gs.com. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you ever noticed that modern medicine tends to treat symptoms rather than causes? As a result, people rarely experience true healing or a transformation from which the body emerges healthy, vibrant, and alive. On Healing from Within with John Robson, learn to harness the synergistic healing power of your body and mind while discovering and dissolving the actual causes of your emotional and physical pain. Tune in and start healing from within every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you stuck, feeling frustrated or overwhelmed? Do you keep putting off your dreams until tomorrow? Is your to-do list growing while time keeps shrinking? Are your closets and cupboards crammed, but your life still feels empty? Join soul coach and vitality expert Amy Dufresne each week for Vital Lessons, feeding your body, mind, and soul. Amy and her expert guests will help you to clear out the clutter and inject more joy into your life. Be inspired to keep going and create the life you crave. Listen Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Caring for someone with autism can be full of challenges and triumphs. Wherever you are on your autism journey, we all benefit from good information and guidance. Join host Rob Haupt every week for a friendly show that will leave you inspired and informed. 
Tune in to Autism Spectrum Radio. Our guests include parents, advocates, and experts to discuss current experiences, treatments, and breakthroughs for those living with autism. Listen every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. Today, Mariana Cacciatore, host of Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Deeds, has been interviewing me about my own loss experiences. And before the break, we were... uh, kind of talking about the many ways that losing my wife affected me. Um, I, I wanted to kind of add that uh, it really affected me when I, was, uh, when I decided I was ready to get involved again uh, because I had decided I don't want to be with anyone I can't die with. Mm. And, and that was sort of my criteria. And when wow. I wow, when, wow, wow, <laughs> it's not the kind of thing that you put on eHarmony. My, no, my <laughs> friends were like, you know, they, even my friends who bless them stayed in with us. You know, uh, they like backed up several feet, and, and I was like, hey, that's where we're all going. You know, I don't want to be with anyone that I wouldn't want to help to die. Or that I wouldn't want to help me to die. So, and how does that translate into qualification? I mean, what were you looking for? How did you uh, know you would well, meet somebody with those qualifications? How could well, you that's, tell? That's the ticket. I didn't know for sure. I just know that I'd rather be alone than not have it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so there- tell us about the evolution of that relationship then, in relationship to this question. Sure. So I met Joanne when I was 16 and she was 19. And when I was 17, we became involved. We were involved for three or four years. And This is your uh, first wife that you're talking about now, wife. Joanne. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I thought you were asking about her, but let, yeah, let me. No, I was asking about your next relationship. Good. Let's switch gears. So I had this thing. Um, oh, and I, I like to have an intention. When I'm, when I'm trying to bring something into my life, my intention on her was um, bring me the perfect partner. And because I had been a lesbian since I was 17, I, I really realized that I was open to anything, right? If my perfect partner was a man, I'd have to adjust. Right. You know? So right. it, was, it was really, it was just bring me the perfect partner. She, on the other hand, had a two-page single-space list. Uh, <laughs> this is this is your this is Deb. My, my Let's give her a wife. name. Deb, this is yeah. Deb. Okay, my got Deb, it. My Deb had a two-page list, which is so funny. And um, when we met, we met at a salsa dancing class, and the uh, the 
person running the class asked, she knew how to dance. She wasn't doing the lesson. She was waiting for the dancing. And the person said, will you be her partner to Deb? So that's how we met, uh-huh. which, which is a lovely thing. Right, and it was, right. it was pretty immediate. So we didn't dance that much. We sat talking. And here's what we talked about. We talked about death. Her father had died a couple of months before Joanne. We talked about children. She had, she had about a million nieces and nephews, and I had kids. And we talked about spirituality, which, by the way, uh, I had been a very rationalist person before all this. And, and through the experience of all, you know, Joanne's illness, I had become more spiritual than anything. You know, I sort of lived there at that point. And uh, she said to me, well, I, you know, we, we're talking about spirituality, this and this. What, what do we practice? Where do we go? She said, well, I sort of do a Buddhist, Catholic, Native American thing. And I was like, this could work. <laughs> you know? So right. between that and talking about grief, the moment we met... Um, I had some sense this is worth a look, you know. This is a person who can go there because uh, she's the oldest of eight. They had all been, they, they had helped their father die in such an intimate way and helped their mother through that in such a deep way. I could tell. You know, right. by, talk, by talking with that, her. So yeah. obvious. You got it. You got it. And you got it. she could tell that about me. I mean, we each gave each other, the other one, like, and there weren't even that many numbers people had back then because it was a while ago. We gave her, gave each other a full list. Right. You know, uh, email, phone, the whole, the whole works. Right. And then um, about... Uh, Maybe two months into our relationship, we went on our first weekend trip, and we stopped for oysters, and we got to the cabin, and I was sick as a dog. It turned out later that I uh, I realized I'm allergic to oysters, and I never had been. Uh, and she took amazing care of me, and it was pretty disappointing for both of us because it was our first little romantic getaway. And we just laid in the cabin all weekend when I wasn't, you know, in the bathroom basically. And after that weekend, I just had, well, I, I kind of didn't have any doubts from the beginning, but, uh, after that I said, well, this is someone I could certainly die with because I felt like I was going to, uh, you know, (laughs) And she, she was just so, so there for me. Present um, and available and a calming present, presence. Present yeah. and doing yeah. whatever I needed, but more important than that, because you can, you can do that by yourself. Mm-hmm. I could have done that by myself. But more important was just there was no resistance in her to, to what I was experiencing. Right, right she, was, right. she was just there with me. Right, right. So... Um, yeah, that kind of, uh, we can't remember who proposed to who, but um, uh, it may have been simultaneous, but it happened around that time. We waited, we waited a year because it was a big adjustment for other people uh, who really associated me with my first wife. Right. Uh, 
and all that experience. But it was we were together from from the beginning. I have a question for you about your work uh, mm-hmm. as a therapist. Um, I'm wondering if your how it is your perspective on grief. And, and this work would work with your partner as well, but how your perspective on working with grief impacts the way you work with people who come in with an issue of depression or anxiety or wanting a new job and not and being lacking focus or or living in fear. I love the question. There's a couple of ways it impacts. Uh, that I can decipher, I'm pretty sure it impacts everything. But there are a couple of things I can really decipher. Um, there's, there's a way that in almost every difficulty, because there's the difficulty and there's how, that, how you're able to respond to the difficulty. Mm-hmm. In, in almost every difficulty, there's a loss. Sometimes several. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Because I look at things that way, I'm, I'm usually able to feel that out. And there's a way that once you allow the, the loss to take its place, it's easier to respond to the problem. So I think it, right. that well, depression, depression might be too big, but when you narrow it down to the real heart of it, which is a loss of a dream even, Sure, it could be the loss of a dream. I think uh, I think we're kind of hardwired to be vulnerable vulnerable to certain things, but unless you're talking about a very extreme biological condition, something has helped it grow. Mm-hmm. Something in your experience has helped it grow, and so I'm always interested in what helped it grow. You know, <laughs> um, and that that comes from my loss orientation. For sure. Right. Um, the other thing that is key, I, I think all, all change in therapy at its base comes from a trusting relationship. And it's a lot easier to develop that if I'm not myself trying to avoid anything in my own life. If I'm able to just sit with a person in a lot of pain and not get scared and not get uh, resistant to, not try to fix it, although I'll certainly suggest a direction, but I don't need it to get better. Uh, And that's What that does, what that does is give people freedom and autonomy to go where they need to go, even though it's a circuitous route, which it often is, to the place of healing. That's absolutely right. And, and it gives think- them, a, they know they have a safe container also because, you know, grief is one of those things that's like, oh, it has so many emotions. It's like a smorgasbord of emotions that all get, you know, part of this thing with grief. And, you know, I so often have heard people say, I feel so out of control well, when you know that you're working with someone who is really holding a container of, of love, if you will, um, mm-hmm. faith in them, trust mm-hmm. in them, and trust in their process, there's a way in which you kind of let go and let yourself go where you need to go because you know somebody's got your back. 
It's really related to what I was talking about with Stephen and Andrea, which Richard only taught me too. That if you really, uh, Richard only would say self acceptance training is accepting where you're at without any judgment. And his idea was that that always leads to change. Right. So if I have the capacity to say, this is where you are, and I'm with you there, then I think that naturally does lead to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Whether that's some ultimate deal or not, mm-hmm. uh, it leads to the next thing. It, it mm-hmm. gives a permission for the experience to evolve. And mm-hmm. I guess I would say also um, uh, people know when someone else is present. You know, people can feel it when you've been there yourself. Right. That's why I wrote this, you know, my own book, Being There for Someone in Grief. People do, they know when, you're, when you've arrived and they know when you've left. And you could still be in the room and either one of those things could happen. <laughs> That's absolutely the case. It was interesting because I took four months off of work when Joanne was dying. The, the final dying, you know. And I have to tell you that uh, what surprised me a lot, I was all, as a new, relatively new therapist, thinking, oh, I'm going to have a lot of repair work to do. You know, everyone's going to be kind of messed up when I go back. Very arrogant thing to think, actually. I went back and a lot of people took a big leap because... They saw that I was doing what I was suggesting that they do. And right, so they, they developed a kind of trust and faith in you. They begin to look up to what, uh, you've learned something from this process and they want to know what that is. And also, it makes it doable. Mm-hmm. If you, if you uh, watch someone do it, I had a couple of people ahead of me who lost... Uh, people before I lost Joanne and watching them you can prepare it it helped immeasurably to see that um, it was doable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's the same with therapy you know Uh, you want to sense that if you kind of unseat all these murky places Mm -hmm. it's going to be doable and you're going to come out the other end Mm mm-hmm Right. And uh, I, I think people got that from me more after Joanne died mm-hmm. uh, than before because I believed it more. Right. You actually lived it. You looked in I the mirror it. and said, wow, yeah. look and what happened. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's something so powerful about that, about I'm here on the other end of this terrible loss. Oh, guess what? All my parts are still here. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm still capable of, you know, many, uh, many changes and growths and, and illuminations. So that's kind of a good place to stop for the day, I think. Uh, that we'll is. To the, the end of our show. And I just want to thank you so much, Mariana. It's just been incredible to talk with you today. Well, the pleasure has been mine. That sour went by so fast. This was oh, great. it just sped by. Thanks I'm again. I'm come on any time. Good. I will have you back to talk about your work uh, very soon. 
Again, you can find Mariana Cacciatore at www.breadforthejourney.org or here on Voice America with her show, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Deeds. It's been such a deep pleasure being here with you all today. I hope you'll join me next week when, as I mentioned, I'll be interviewing Angelo Marandino. His moving and beautiful photographs of he and his wife facing her breast cancer diagnosis five months after they married went viral on the Internet and led to numerous appearances, including a recent TED Talk. I really cannot wait to talk with them about the impact of living with cancer and the unmistakable impulse that comes to make it mean something. If you haven't seen the photos, you can go to www.mywifesfightwithbreastcancer.com to view the complete photo essay, read Angelo's blog, and find out about The Love You Share, the nonprofit he began in her honor, which offers help to women with breast cancer. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed this hour so much, and I look forward to many hours with all of you. Uh, this has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. Don't forget to go to Good Grief homepage at Voice America to email me, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and connect on LinkedIn. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.